want my daddy back, came the plaintive cry from the sandy-haired 13-year-old girl as she wept before the assembled covey of adults at the Chicago Institute of Psychology. The year, 2010. The occasion, not group therapy, although it may have unwittedly become group therapy. Not psychoanalysis of a troubled teen, although it may have unwittingly become that also. No, the focus of the gathering was to assist troubled veterans and their families reintegrate after combat deployments to the never-ending war, as some have termed America's longest-running conflict in the Middle East and Afghanistan. The Chicago Institute of Psychology, a world-renowned postgraduate training institute for psychologists, joined with the Obama administration's drive to assist veterans and their families. The effort, led by First Lady Michelle Obama, a Chicago native, and Dr. Jill Biden, wife of Vice President Joe Biden, and family member of a combat veteran. Jill's son, Delaware Attorney General Bo Biden, deployed to Iraq with the Delaware National Guard. The eight-foot-tall windows spanning two sides of the small conference room streamed in the Chicago spring sunshine as the 20 or so participants gathered with coffee and bagels. The head of the Institute opened with greeting Dr. Biden, veterans, a few family members, including that 13-year-old girl who would later cry, the commander of the Illinois National Guard, and his wife. She announced the Institute's newfound interest in assisting veterans and their families. The interest, likely spurred by Michelle Obama's initiative to assist veterans and their families with the emotional scars due to the trauma of combat deployments. The stress on families often as great or even greater than that on the veterans. The ranks of Illinois veterans recently swollen with the return of the Illinois Army National Guard's 33rd Infantry Brigade combat team from Afghanistan. The 3,500 soldiers represented the largest combat deployment for the Illinois Guard since World War II. Unlike World War II, communications between the war zone and the home front were virtually instantaneous. With Facebook and Internet access to email, families were often aware of combat injuries and deaths before National Guard officials. When the network news announced an IED attack with casualties, the stress levels spiked even higher. The group texts between guard families became a crescendo as wives, moms, dads, and children of soldiers in harm's way asked each other, where did it happen? Was it one of our guys? The silent prayers, oh God, don't let it be Joe, recited until the email, it wasn't our guys, I'm okay, came through. National Guard units and their families are different from active duty units. Active duty units pull soldiers from all across our great land. Soldiers seldom know each other until assigned to a unit. If married, active duty soldiers' families typically live on or near an active duty installation with all the support services that accompany massive military facilities, such as the 50,000 soldiers at Fort Hood or the tens of thousands at Fort Benning, Fort Drum, or Fort Stewart. National Guard units, on the other hand, are community-based. Many times with brothers or dads and sons or moms and daughters serving together in the same unit. While officers rotate every few years throughout the state, NCOs often spend decades in the same unit, rising from private to first sergeant. 
high school students recruit their friends, sign up together, go off to train together, and sometimes die together. Although little remembered now, the town of Bedford, Virginia, population 3,500, suffered the highest per capita casualty rate of any town or city in America during World War II. The home of Company A, 116th Infantry Regiment, 29th Infantry Division of the Virginia National Guard. Bedford lost 20 of the 35 National Guardsmen it called its own. The sense of duty hasn't changed much in those guard units and families, whether Virginia or Illinois. The members still the ones who spend all week at their occupations, whether a teacher who spends all week with students, a farmer tilling his crops, the mechanic turning wrenches, or factory worker on the line. They get up before dawn on Saturday, missing soccer games, birthdays, and family gatherings to head to drill. They spend springs battling Midwestern floods, summers fighting forest fires and recovering from hurricanes, winters rescuing blizzard-stranded motorists, and for the last 300 years fighting our nation's wars, declared and undeclared. This wasn't Jill Biden's first trip to Illinois to support guard families. The previous summer, while the 33rd was deep in alligators in Afghanistan, the Chicago Cubs invited guard families to attend a home game at Wrigley Field, while a local restaurant provided free pizza and soda. Jill agreed to come at the invitation of the commanding general's wife, Judge Annette Eckert. Jill arrived at the restaurant with Secret Service agents in tow and NBC national newscaster Lester Holt following in their wake. Not one to stand on ceremony, Jill saw hungry kids and a clock marching on. After much hugging and photos with kids, she and Annette took charge of dishing out pizza. Once the last child was served, she looked at Annette and said, You've been working long and hard. Sit down and eat. Then she dished up salad and pizza for the starving general's wife. I don't know that she ever ate that night, but her care and concern for families undergoing the stress of a family member far away in a free fire zone came through loud and clear. She obviously understood all too well their anxiety. She'd lived through those sleepless nights herself. That empathy came through the next year as the family members talked about the stress they had undergone while mom or dad was gone and the changes they saw in their loved ones once they returned. The 13-year-old's dad served as the company first sergeant. As the first sergeant, he is the senior enlisted soldier in the unit. He reports directly to the company commander and is charged with the development and training of NCOs and soldiers. An unofficial duty is the mentoring of young officers. The sage advice of a grizzled old soldier is critical in the development of inexperienced young officers half their age. He had served in the unit for years, trained the young kids, watched them grow into competent soldiers. His duty, to bring them home. All of them, get them fed, keep them in bullets and bandages, Make sure they sleep, shower, and most of all, survive. 150 soldiers, some college kids, some dads, maybe even a granddad or two, all with families, all with more than an M4 carbine and a duty to do, all with faces, names, personalities, and family members that you've met. It takes a special soldier to be a first sergeant. A good one must have the patience of a little league baseball coach, the wisdom of your best teacher, the compassion of a loved cleric, and the discipline of George Patton. Many are called, few are chosen. They are the backbone of the Army. He was there in that sunny Chicago conference room with the vice president's wife, the general, 
The other veterans, the learned psychologists. He was there with the 13-year-old, his weeping daughter. His body sat there. His mind, his mind with the ones who went with him. His mind with the ones who came back with him. The ones who now drank a little too much. The ones who now drove a little too fast. The ones who now didn't sleep quite as well. The army may release you from duty, but duty doesn't release you. He treats me like a soldier now. I want my daddy back, she wept. Jill crossed the floor, circled with chairs filled by stricken adults, to gather the girl in her arms. The sun still streamed in. 